In just a few short weeks, Anthology Together is bringing you the best of ed tech at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Resort in Orlando, Florida. Join the global education community to hear about what's next in the future of learning, get a first-hand look at the latest innovations, and discover new insights to help both your institution and students achieve their goals. The future of learning is here, and there's no better place to see it than at Anthology Together 2022. The event kicks off on July 11th, so register today at www.anthology.com together. Unmuddle helps your community college to drive enrollments and revenue. Community colleges help with workforce development programs to compete on a national and global scale, offering those services to employers. It's time for a new era in higher education. Check out Unmuddle at unmuddle.com slash colleges and claim your college for free. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Edup Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salustio, back with you again here on another episode as we pass 450 on to 1,050 episodes of this podcast. I don't know how we've gotten this far. Um, if you're listening to this, uh, you will probably and hopefully listen to this before Elvin and I attend Anthology Together in uh, beautiful Orlando, Florida, this coming July uh, I don't know, what is it, July 10th through 13th or something like that. Anthology, obviously a huge uh, student information system tech, uh, ed tech provider. Ellen and I will be attending the user conference to record users of Anthology, find out what's going on, how transitions are happening, what are the big technology issues facing institutions today. Don't forget to check us out. And remember, if you hold a conference and you want the Edup experience to be there in person, we can do it. Um, I have this sound machine that goes wherever I go now. Literally, as I've been transitioning from Southern California to Missouri for my new gig at Lindenwood University, every time I get on a plane, I have my PodTrack P8 with me just in case I want a podcast with a random person in the airport. Who knows? You never know who you're going to find that has something to say about higher ed. Somebody that I know that has a lot to say about higher education and what's happening around the areas of skills and skill development is my guest today. And I've got to make sure that I get the whole name of this organization right. Um, it's a long one. I'm going to ask him to say it. So let me just bring him in. Here he is. Ladies and gentlemen, his name is Bob Hansen, and he is CEO of the UPCEA. Bob, what's up? Well, I'm so glad you asked me that, actually, Joe. Thanks for inviting me, uh, because... I have to confess that I rarely make it through the entire five words of our name without stumbling once and sometimes twice. So let's see if I can get it. Let's see. The first time. The university professional and continuing education. See, I already blew it. I, I messed up continuing. You have so ha started again. University professional and continuing education association. So you've got five words. And all of them are four or five syllables. And it's it's a branding problem, Joe. So we're, we're working on that even as we speak. Epic. Epic. That's an epic name. Let's be honest. It UPCEA. Really UPCEA. University. We go with that. Yeah. University Professional and Continuing Education Association. All right. So lay it down for us, Bob. Level set for the audience. What does UPCEA do and how do you do it? Sure, we've been around really since 
um, uh, the, the days of the, the Wisconsin idea, which was that the benefits of the university should extend beyond the campus to the borders of the state and beyond. I love that vision. It's what drove 20 institutions of higher education, a lot of the leaders in the country today still, most of them public, a few private, like University of Chicago and Stanford were among them, mm. to really found the extension movement that is really focused on educating adults in place-bound areas that were unable to benefit from, from the university. So we've evolved over time as adult learning has evolved over time. You know, we did night school in the urban areas and we were at the front end of the technology where you'd have videotapes and you'd go into a physical place and watch a videotape. And that was what distance learning uh, was back then, then through the whole evolution of online. But our people do a lot more than that. So our typical member is a dean of a school of professional studies or a vice provost for distance learning. So it's the whoever's the senior most person responsible for any combination of PCO. When we say PCO, we mean professional, continuing, and online education. Those are the three real facets of, of what we do. And we serve more than those senior leaders. We serve their teams. And in some cases, a team might only be three people. It may be a non-credit only thing in an elite institution. And then and yet at a, at a flagship public, we could have 200 members in, in, in the, the vast administrative apparatus of putting together online or, or professional cuisine education programs. Wow. Okay. So you've got a huge scope. I mean, how many members are we talking about here? Uh, we're talking about 11,000 individual members and institutional members. We're at about 400. We're really top heavy with the elite public and privates. Um, probably half of our folks are regional publics and privates, but frankly, that, that the size of that, of that body is so much bigger. And we really have to do, a, um, you know, we're really trying to focus more on that. But I think a lot of those institutions haven't really figured out what their strategy is for PCO. And, and if they don't have a strategy, in many cases, they don't look to, fi to find a professional association. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, the, that leads me to, to dig in uh, there when you're talking about maybe institutions not having an idea of strategy for PCO, which is professional and continuing online education, right? Right. PCO. Yeah. Um, but what, what, you know, devil's advocate says, but institutions have now all moved online, right? And they've moved yeah. online pandemic wise, or maybe they're trying to serve the workforce in more robust ways. And so they're looking at both non-credit and for-credit offerings. Is it just a harder game to get into, so to speak, um, and, and be successful? It is a harder game to get into. And, and as you mentioned, um, uh, the pandemic and whatnot, um, it, it's actually created a major problem and opportunity. The problem is that people are conflating the experience of emergency remote instruction with planful, high quality online programs. Um, so that, that's been a major challenge. The opportunity there is it's exposed a lot more students and more importantly, faculty to the experience. And a lot of them actually found that they liked it quite a bit. Um, now, when it gets to the other part of your question about the, the absence of a sort of a holistic strategy, um, I think they have been in, in, in kind of reactive mode. I think many institutions have put together an online pro plan, but they haven't really put uh, the same energy they put into 
the residential students. And I think the fundamental problem right there is, is not, I think ironically, it's the institutions that have to do it least that are doing it right. So the flagship publics and the elite privates have done a very good job of being intentional and coming up with an excellent comprehensive strategic PCO plan, at least a comprehensive online plan. It's the non-elites that have, have really struggled with it. And I think they've been um, too hamstrung uh, perhaps by the, the arbitrary desires of individual faculty who may wanna go online or individual departments that may wanna push a program online but it hasn't been sort of the, the kind of um, I don't want to say top down, but but maybe it's more that than I'm than 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 anything else. I think there needs to be an institutional strategy that prioritizes the programs that are going to be successful for a given institution. And it's why it's so essential is that those those flagship institutions are not going away. They're always going to have their strong base of students. And that's what they rely on. It's the tuition-dependent institutions, like the two that I was at, University of Southern Maine, a regional public of 10,000, and St. Xavier University, a regional Catholic institution of about five in Chicago. They're the ones that, that have really, I think, struggled in some ways um, to, to find their, their footing in that area. Nailed it. You nailed it, Bob. I... I, I... <sighs> love what you said there because I think it's so true, right? If you're resource um, rich, you can invest in a, a professional and continuing education, whether it's non-credit or, or for credit, and it's not gonna drive, you know, in most instances, it's not gonna drive tremendous revenue. It's an alternative revenue source. Right, the right. Tuition and independent institutions balance, I know, because I've been in it a couple, have to balance the, okay, what are we gonna invest in this um, alternative revenue source, knowing that the return on that revenue source, at least visibly, when you invest, whether it's marketing or program development, is not going to come out on the other side in terms of actual dollars to make it ROI worth it. But, and but, what about those students who do come back and finish a degree? What about those students who do transfer in? What about those students that come back at six months from now because more adult students go in and out and they're stacking uh, stacking skills? So there's, there's other ways to look at what their ROI looks like. But on paper, if you're looking for investment and return right away on these niches, a lot of times it's just resource a resource heavy and an output isn't, uh, doesn't tell the story in immediately as it needs to for some administrators who are looking to make that decision. Do you agree with that? Is that what you see a lot? I, I basically agree, but I might go a step further and say like it, it, when I was at my last institution, I, I was struck by how 99% of the dialogue and the strategy and, and, and most of the administrative firepower was organized around a, a, a rapidly diminishing pool of students, the residential students. So you have a vast enterprise of student affairs, for example, and you might only have like 1600 students that are residential. The average age at the undergraduate level was something between 26 and 28. I can't remember if it was 26 or 28. It's a fundamental misalignment of resources with your student base, I think. And it's just very painful for these institutions because they have all these sunk costs in terms of the residential campus that was already becoming outdated for all but the elite institutions. 
well before the pandemic. And then the pandemic just simply was the exclamation point on that long-term trajectory, perhaps. What do you, what are students saying? I mean, you know, we're seeing the, and you're seeing it too, I'm sure the, you know, does formal degree based higher education still have value, um, alternative pathways, uh, credential stacking, non-credit, you know, you see grow with Google and you see all these alternative pathways. It, it, do members, your membership worry about the degree seeking student in its traditional sense? you know, going in, getting a bachelor's onto a master's? Are we planning appropriately, do you think, for the ins and outs, um, I don't know, the more frequent in, ins and outs of an adult student, the point-in-time learning, um, the, you know, on-demand learning, as it were? And, and are there models? Um, you know, there's a lot of questions there, Bob. Let me start with the first one, so I don't <laughs> give you the shotgun of questions. Um, do, do you think that the, the membership is worried about students' degree-seeking, or are we focused is the membership focused on whatever the way the student wants to experience this will be there? Um, I, I wouldn't say they're worried, but they are prudently investigating what they're on, what their institutional strategy is for alternative credentials. So everything I said about online is also true about alternative credentials. It's just that alternative credentials are maybe 20 years behind the the, the socialization um, uh, trajectory that online was. So they're, they're, way, they're way behind. It, it's unclear to us at this stage how much employers are going to value these alternative credentials. And therefore, um, and, and students know that, they're savvy and they're wondering if it's, it, how much it's gonna, it's gonna help them too. So what we're seeing, of course, and you know this, is that alternative credentials in STEM are extremely effective, particularly IT within STEM. Yeah, technology. And, yeah, and, and so that's over. terrific. There's all these companies that are evolved, institutions are evolving that. That's a winner. But not everybody's a tech person. So I don't know what the future is going to be with alternative credentials outside of the tech space. Um, but I'm increasingly interested in UPSIA has got, um, is really investing in this area, which we can re return to later, but I, I wanna make sure that we get to the other part of your question um, about, um, about alternative credentials and-, and I'm and glad you remembered what my question was, Bob, because I had totally forgotten to ask this. Well, in your first iteration of the question, which was longer, nice. you, were, you were talking about, you know, should we move beyond just degrees? And I think that, that their approach is, is a prudent one. Like, yes, we should move beyond just degrees because a degree isn't for everybody. So we've got to have uh, a practical, um, but also hopefully inspired alternative credentials uh, strategy. Um, I think what we need to do is break beyond, and this is this is this really gets to the, a national. If we had a national system for higher education, we don't have one, and we've been very successful without it. But if we had one, we'd say, you know what, we got to move beyond the binary nature of degrees because it's relatively arbitrary to say that after two years, you get an associate's degree and that entitles you, you have a degree, you, it, it means you have, you have career openings as a result of it. The next step up is a four-year one and then the master's is two. It, it's very, it, it's arbitrary. It doesn't need to be that way. You know, in Europe, they have three-year degrees and they focus on one thing. It, it just shows you it didn't come down in the tablets um, from Moses. We, we, met, we made it up and we can make up a new construct that, that works better for, for some people. 
I think those two-year goals work for a lot of people and will still work for a lot of people and will not go away. But I do think we have to do a better job of, of making sure that outcomes-based education comes in other forms so that there are way stations on the way. So, Because two years is also full-time two years. That's a lot of commitment for the learners that UPSIA specializes in, which are PCL learners, which are by and large non-traditional adult online learners. Working probably too, right? Working yes, learners. The vast majority of them, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you bring up uh, so much and, and UPCEA is doing a lot to help provide resources for uh, those higher ed professionals and others who are interested in um, in continuing professional education. Can you talk about the infrastructure, the resources you provide, what you see people asking for or accessing in terms of, uh, of POL? Or P what did you call it? PCO. PCO, PCO right. Way, right. Off, way off on my letters here. PCO. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Um, so we... We, we've asked them, um, as you may imagine. So we've done, we've done surveys. I wish I had it at my fingertips here, but um, we know that they love networking. Networking is, networking is probably the most underrated and underreported element of an association. It's like when I start, when I wanted to start online at my last institution, we started from almost nothing with six courses. The way I learned how to do it was to call up UPSIA colleagues, because I was a member at the time, and ask them, what would you recommend? What did you try that didn't work that we should be aware of? And it was enormously valuable. So that kind of one-on-one -on -one network is, is absolutely fundamental. Now, it sounds lazy. It sounds like it's something that just happens organically and it's not architected by the association. That's probably why people don't talk about it as much, but it's essential. Something we do architect and invest in is a chief learning, our chief research officer, Jim Bong, who's just one of the leading experts in the country in the adult higher ed market. Um, he began his career with Penn State uh, World Campus and has been working with me for 10 years now. And he's just phenomenal. So he does a lot of benchmarking and research, um, benchmarking research, but also independent research about OPMs or about student engagement or student retention. Um, and he does a lot of work, custom work for individual members who really need to figure out, who need to review their portfolio of online and other adult focused programs to make sure that it's actually aligned with um, uh, economic development needs and the job force within that area. Um, so they really need that. They need that research and we provide that. They also need um, really leadership opportunities to really grow as an individual. I think that that um, UPSIA is a place where everybody speaks their language. It's a great place for them to really come into their own and grow. I know I certainly did that. Um, UPSIA gave me that opportunity. Um, and, and of course, what we do best of all is our conferences. Our conferences bring everybody together for professional development. Level um, up. Pardon? Level up. Level up, Level yeah, up. exactly. They're, they're leveling up. They're they're looking at other models. They're borrowing from each other. It's an incredibly generous, gracious community um, that is very happy to share. And and it's been essential, I think, for for the growth of the of the PCO uh, movement in this country. Unmuddle's mission is to provide learners 
particularly working learners, with multiple pathways to learning and development with clear signaling as to the time, cost, and uncertainty of each. Unmuddle is powered by community colleges, particularly innovative community colleges, to provide a skills-to-job marketplace. Come join the nation's top community college network today. To get started, go to unmuddle.com slash colleges. That's U-N-M-U-D-L dot com slash colleges. You know what I really liked on your website? If you head to upcea.edu was the hallmark uh, section under resources, hallmarks of excellence in credential innovation, hallmarks of excellence in professional and continuing education, and hallmarks of excellence in online leadership as a general framework almost of here, here are some benchmarks, if you will, or a barometer of this is what excellence means. Here's, you know, here are the things you need to consider. Is this a big resource for, for people to come and say, you know, I need to have these basics in place? I, I think it I think it is, and I think we can do even more to leverage that. And I'm so glad you 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 saw that on the website because I forgot to mention it. Um, I think they're essential, and we're actually we've been actually exploring ways to develop models. Um, that exemplify each of the hallmarks. So, you know, you read this, but the, the audience doesn't know this yet, but each of those hallmarks of excellence in, in professional continuing and online and in alternative credentials, in, in each case, they have about seven hallmarks. So for example, there will be external advocacy, there will be student services, faculty services, entrepreneurship, um, which is rare, rare in higher education as we know. Um, except for in the in the in the uh, corporate sector, um, so I think that um, that uh, it's one thing to see a set of descriptions of what a high performing organization in PCO is doing and should be doing. It's another to show models of how Purdue Global uh, adapts X or how University of Wisconsin Extension approaches student services and the hallmarks. So I think that's really the next step is we're gonna start populating those with models and, and, and other resources that they can use instead of just uh, the framework, which is, 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 is valuable unto itself, but I'd like to keep building on that. Amazing. I love models. I love models that are innovative and I love models that can help enhance our, uh, uh, for administrators, for faculty, for staff to enhance our work without us having to go and, and reinvent the wheel, so to speak. And it's great to have associations out there that are pooling resources, if you will, and pooling brain power of, of those of us that work in higher ed and, and spitting something out, uh, so to speak, on the other side. I was looking through your conferences and seminars piece, and uh, you have, um, it looks like you have uh, certificate trainings as well for, for folks. So there's like a distance teaching and learning uh, conference coming up. Uh, it, is this for like for PD for event uh, for, um, for members to be able to come in to network and these events must be pretty popular, right? Yeah, there, there's, there's two, those are two separate things. So the, the first that you're talking about is our online professional development certificates. Uh, they're called PCO Pro and PCO Leader. Those are brand new. We developed them. Oh, well, they're actually almost a year and a half old now, I think, but, but that's brand new for us. And um, they were under development for quite a while. And you may appreciate this. 
we were ready to roll them out right when the pandemic hit and nobody had any time at all because they were all pivoting to online. Yeah. Um, had zero time. Their budgets were frozen. Fortunately, we had these amazing course evaluations. We were getting four eights and four nines as, as on the average out of a five point scale. And that kept us going like, you know what? We're onto something. It's going to turn around. And sure yeah. enough, it has. Now our courses are are finally filling up. It started in the late spring. It's continuing over the summer. And we're, we're really excited about that development. We think it's important to do this because we're a profession. Mm -hmm. And I have to share, I had this, this interesting conversation about a year or so ago with a, a faculty, uh, with a, a former faculty member who was a dean at a elite private and, and she's left now, but, but she doesn't believe, she didn't believe we're a profession. Um, and I think it's a fundamental, it, it really speaks to the uh, a fundamental problem in higher education that if you're not a faculty member, you must not be wise. And I think it's just very, wow. very important to grow this profession and people understand this is really complicated. Being a biology professor or a lit professor, like, I, well, lit, I wasn't a professor, but I was trained in, in literature and got my doctorate in that. That doesn't train you to figure out market savvy programming in mm -hmm. online, you know? So we really needed to teach that we needed to teach finance. We needed to teach entrepreneurship, et cetera. I'll pause there. See if you have any questions about that before we go on to the distance teaching and learning conference that you referenced. Well, I, I, I think my question comes back to what you said originally that, you know, a lot of your membership is the elite uh, privates, as you said, how do you open up? How do you open up that membership and get more, you know, public, small privates, maybe the middle, you know, the the middle of the road schools, you're, you know, between a thousand and 10,000 student schools who are, um, who are tuition dependent and looking at alternatives. How do you get more schools involved that are outside of that, you know, traditional norm? I, I think we, we do have them. And, you know, our average, most of our, of our institutions, our member institutions are public. So I think we're about 70 to 75% public. It's just that we have a high concentration of the elite publics and the elite pu public right. privates. But, but the reality is we dig pretty, pretty deep. What we don't do as good a job is bring in community colleges. And I think part of the challenge is the first word in our, in our name, university. So we don't emphasize the full name anymore. We just go by Upsia. But I think we have, we have room to grow there. And I think one way to reach community colleges, but also those other institutions you're talking about, the, the, the tuition-dependent regionals that we, only, that, that we don't get a high enough percentage of the share of the market, um, is to really emphasize online. Because I think continuing education is often seen as non-credit and as yesterday's news. Mm. And, and yet it's still part of our legacy brand, whereas in fact, the majority of our members are really robust and online. They're the leaders in online. And I think that's where you actually are able to expand because everybody's in online now and they need help. And the ones who need the most help are not uh, Oregon State University, uh, which our, our board president is from. It's, it's not University of Wisconsin. It's, it's not Northwestern. It's definitely the directional schools. And, and those are the ones that I think we need to really do a better job of serving by using the front door of UPSIA, making sure there's a second front door that's for online, not just professional continuing education, which has been our legacy.
Yeah, you're, you make a good point about people t saying, you know, professional or continuing education being associated with non-credit. It can be for credit. It can professional education can be for credit. Certificate programs that lead into a degree, they're, they're they could be marketed and, and financial aid funded. There's non-credit offerings for credential stacking. It can be a lot of those things. But you're right. I think that it comes. We in higher ed associate anything that doesn't say degree with non-credit, and that is, I think, the wrong way to think about it. Right, 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 right. So, so it was, it was a, it, it, it wasn't the calling card that we needed for cash-strapped institutions. On, online is. True, true, true. Well, I love what you're saying. There was a second part of my question that I uh, did not remember, and I oh, can't remember if you remember. Learning. Distance teaching and learning. Yes. And, and that's, that's actually a fascinating story because it, it actually illustrates what I'm talking about is the positioning of, of, of UPSI over the past 10 years towards online leadership and administration. So we're really the leading organization now for online leadership and strategy and administration. Um, we've been building that over the last 10 years and we've had a summit for online leadership for, for many years now. It began in partnership with ACE and, and then um, uh, we continued on our own for the last several years. What we didn't have is, a, is an online teaching and learning conference. It sounds kind of funny when you say it that way, but really we're about administration and strategy and running the complicated business of online. So what we did is we reached out and partnered with the University of Wisconsin-Madison to co-present their 37th annual distance and teaching and learning conference. It's so and, yeah, and I'm really excited about that because it's a different phase of the online game for us. We're doing exceptionally well. With six weeks to go, we've massively exceeded our revenue targets. So we're doing very, very well, very exciting. Um, and, but it's virtual still. Um, the first fully uh, uh, on-site one will be in a year. And we're gonna to bring together those two conferences, those two crazy kids, the distance teaching and learning for teaching and learning and the summit for online leadership and administration, bring them together. What's exciting about that is it will become the most dynamic and the most can't miss conference in the online space because it's the only conference that brings together those two sides, teaching and learning, which is the pure academic side and the very entrepreneurial nature that we've focused on. So we're excited oh, about yeah. that. That's Isn't the only great? button I can think of that's appropriate for that, uh, bringing those two kids together. Oh, yeah. That's that's <laughs> excitement right there, Bob. I agree. It's what gets me jazzed almost every day. So, Well, what, Bob, what did we not say about UPSIA? That uh, something that you want to say, any events coming up, any things going on, are you speaking anywhere? Take a couple of minutes, plug UPSIA. And, uh, and then secondarily to that, um, answer the last question I have for you, which is what do you see as the future of higher education? Mm -hmm. Boy, um, I guess I'd like to talk a little bit more about what we're doing with alternative credentials, because I just think, as we talked about earlier, it's, it, it's, a, it's a new ball game and it's really exciting. They're behind where online was, but look where online went. And so we created uh, the Council for Credential Innovation for senior leaders that are responsible for crafting institutional strategy. And we also formed an alternative credentials network for the more rank and file members of that community who are engaged in the process of developing and delivering those alternative credentials. 
and um, would love to get people engaged. So if you've got, if you're in the audience and you've got alternative credentials in your portfolio, would love to talk to you and get you engaged, whether you're a member or a non-member, we'll try to get you engaged. Um, and we're gonna have our first ever um, standalone conference in about, probably about 15 months. So, so, so look for that one. I guess I'd also like to say that, that um, you know, I mentioned Jim Fong earlier and the terrific custom research he does. So, so we really help institutions. We, you know, from anywhere from, from you know, Northwestern to Rice to, to Utah to, to, to Boston College to um, uh, University of Maine, you go on and on and on. We've helped so many institutions, more than a hundred. Um, we'd love to help you. So um, you probably know where to find me on the website and we, we'd love to work with you. Find Bob Hansen. You can find you on LinkedIn too, right? Attention. Indeed. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, what's the future of higher education, Bob? You know, I, I, I'm often asked this question as, 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 as you are. And, you know, I, I guess that I had a flip answer um, earlier as I was thinking about this. And the future of, of education is now. Um, I, I don't know how anyone could produce, could predict with any kind of certitude, what higher ed is going to look like in five years, I think more of the same um, for the next three years with, with a lot more emphasis on intentional online, intentional alt-cred, and a lot of hand-wringing about the disappearing traditional age pipeline in what, half of our states? A yep. little more than half of our states? Um, so they're going to have to connect those dots, whether or not they do in the next three to five years. I don't know. I think some will and others won't, but the dots to connect are the disappearing traditional age students and the strategic imperative at the institutional and national level to train up and career up our post-traditional audience. Level up. I love this, Bob. I could talk to you all day, but your team did not give me all day to talk to you. So uh, I'll ask you instead, how did you uh, feel about your EdUp experience today? I loved it. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, you're a fun guy to talk to you. I really enjoy it. Well, that yeah, thank you very much. And, and uh, everybody knows that I like to mess up here, or at least uh, I am prone to messing up, which is why uh, I can't remember my own questions that I've asked you, Bob, but I'm glad your memory is better than mine. Um, and I appreciate uh, appreciate what you're doing at Upsia. I encourage everyone to head to Upsia. That's U-P-C-E-A.edu, and check out the resources they have. Um, there's resources there really for anyone. If you work in higher education at any level on any capacity, there's going to be something here that you find of value. Uh, it's a great resource. Uh, and then for, for I know there's so many people from community colleges that listen to this podcast. Check out UPSI. I, I think uh, joining uh, as a member will provide you with great resource to lead your online efforts in your institution. Um, and of course, somebody leading all over the place is my guest today. He's a doctor, and I forgot to introduce him as that at the beginning. So we're going to do a better job on the way out. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Bob Hansen. He's CEO of Upsia. Bob, it's been a great pleasure and an honor having you on podcast today. It's a pleasure, Joe, and thanks to Elvin as well. Thanks a lot for to both of you. Uh, shout out to our producer, Elvin Freitas, co-founder and our producer. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just add up. Unmuddle helps your community college to drive enrollments and revenue. Community colleges 
help with workforce development programs to compete on a national and global scale, offering those services to employers. It's time for a new era in higher education. Check out Unmuddle at unmuddle.com slash colleges and claim your college for free. Anthology is leading the next wave of ed tech innovation and unlocking student success on an entirely new scale. Ready to take a closer look at what's next in the future of learning? Join fellow faculty and higher ed experts for Anthology Together, one of the world's largest education events, taking place next month at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Resort in Orlando, Florida. Anthology Together features some of the most innovative professionals from the global education community sharing insights and best practices for institutional and learner success, both inside and outside of the classroom. Register today and attend tailored sessions on topics like creating more dynamic courses for your learners and strategic decision-making across recruitment, admissions, and enrollment. The time is now. Visit www.anthology.com together and reserve your spot before the event kicks off on July 11th.